Hello and welcome back to episode 14 of Beans Does Stuff. This week's episode is, well, after much consideration over what I should call an episode about whiskey, I decided on the surprise name of Beans Does Whiskey. There is a reason as to why I nearly called it something else, but I'll go into that a little bit later. Thanks to everyone who listened to Beans Does Vegas, and thanks to those who took the time to get in contact and to give me feedback. I really appreciate it. It's nice to know that people are listening, but it's great that people take the time to get in contact and let me know that they enjoyed it. Right, let's get the show on the road. I start this week as I start every week. I should probably stop saying that now, with additions and corrections from last week's episode. I told you last week that I'd wash my hands with Spreaker and that I wouldn't be surprised if Beansters Coke magically appeared on the site when I uploaded Beansters Vegas. What I should have expected, though, is that neither episode appeared on the site. Technology bugs the hell out of me when it doesn't work. It has one task to perform, you ask it to perform that task... And instead, it finds new ways to infuriate you. That's it, I told myself. I am definitely washing my hands with it now. And then I got an email on Saturday morning saying that there were two new episodes of Beast of Stuff. This week, I am making you a promise and I intend to stick to it. I am not devoting any more time on these episodes to Spreaker. I do have three updates on the actual Vegas episode too. Number one... I still have no new plans to go to Vegas. The wife did waver briefly, but only briefly. And as she put it, common sense then prevailed. The second update relates to gambling, which I only really briefly touched on in the last episode, and that's because I don't gamble. Like I said, we've been quite a few times, and on one occasion we were there, it was Memorial Day weekend. On weekends such as this, you will find that the minimum bet on just about every table gets hiked up. There are now apps that you can get for your phone that give you this information. It's uploaded by users of the app and you can find out what the buy-ins are, etc, etc, etc on each table in each hotel. It's worth keeping in mind if, unlike me, you do choose to do a little bit of gambling. The third update is not so much a place to enjoy a drink, but the drink itself. Sin City breweries have spots cropping up all over the strip. I visited the one in the Miracle Mile shops and at the Flamingo. They make a particularly noteworthy IPA that is well worth a try. If you're a fan of merch, they also have some excellent t-shirts. So what's been going on then in the world of beans this week? Well, it was VE Day last Friday, which meant that I, like everybody else, took the opportunity to take my drinking from the back garden to the front garden. We live on a newly built housing estate, and our house looks out onto a park, so it was nice to get the opportunity to socialise with people, albeit at a distance of two metres. As it just so happens, my next-door neighbour is my park ass, who I set a Guinness World Record with, uh, along with Sid and Mark. And he was also pretty heavily involved with the setting of the most doubles in 24 hours record that we did recently. And we were chatting about that as it was on the last pre-lockdown weekend that we had had. 
it's prompted me to give you guys an update on that. The Guinness application is yet to be sent off as we still need to collect in a large portion of the witness statements. Social distancing and the club in which we set the record being closed has made it rather challenging to get that done. But Big Grey is still doing a bang up job of collecting that paperwork in. Or should I say, super great smashing as he's a spitting image of Jim Bowen. But it is taking a little bit longer than we had hoped or expected. The last record took us several months to get everything together. And this one looks like it's going to be the same. We don't doubt that it'll be approved though and I will share the news with you as soon as it does get approved and share a picture of my certificate once it arrives. I have to say though I really enjoyed catching up with friends on a face-to-face -face basis. Normally when I see guys it's in the small screen on my Nexus dartboard when I play them online. Speaking of which, that very subtle segue that I just did there, if you do own a Nexus keep an eye out for beans or beans underscore does underscore stuff and take me on. Feel free to give me plenty of stick if I miss any of my doubles because after spending 24 hours throwing at those and those alone there's really no excuse for it. This week's episode then is Beans Does Whiskey. When I first came up with the idea for the Beans Does Stuff podcast, I jotted down a couple of series of ideas. Beans Does Takeaways, where I try and replicate or produce a meal is as good or better than a takeaway with separate episodes for Indian, Chinese and Mexican. And the other idea for a series was Beans Does Spirits. No, not the parapsychology episode that I promised you post-lockdown, but gin, tequila, vodka and whiskey. I don't plan on doing these back to back, instead I'll filter them in amongst all the other episodes. Because of the how-to section of this podcast, I nearly call this episode something else though, but I'll explain that bit when I get to it. So then, what am I going to cover off in this episode? I'm going to talk you through some of my whiskey tasting experiences, mention a few of my favourite drums talk about some whiskey cocktails and chuck in some facts for good measure before giving you a really quick and easy but incredibly delicious how-to that you can have a go at home in your own kitchen. The state of Kentucky in the US has more barrels of whiskey maturing in it than it has people and Kentucky has a population of round about four and a half million. Scotland has a population of 5.4 million inhabitants and there are four times as many barrels of whiskey there than there are residents. I've been to Edinburgh quite a few times. The last time was in 2015 when the wife and I spent a few days there to take in the Christmas markets and enjoy the St Andrew's Day celebrations. When you think of whiskey, it's Scotland you always think of first. So I'm going to start off by apologising to the good people of Scotland. I visited your Royal Mile whiskey shop on more than one occasion and bought more than one whiskey on each of those occasions. <laughs> one thing that I've never bought from there, though, is a Scottish whiskey. On every occasion, I've treated myself to a couple of American bourbons, which I have to say is my whiskey of choice. Don't get me wrong though, I love Scottish whiskies too, and I promise to redress the balance when I do Beans Does Gin, as there's two Scottish gins in my top three favourites. 
You can probably guess that Double Trouble Gin will be one of those, and you can grab yourself a bottle of that at www.doubletroubledrinks.co.uk. And don't forget that they have a vodka coming soon too. Miniatures will be available very, very soon, and a full-size bottle will follow close behind. A little bit further up the road from the Royal Mile Whiskey Shop, towards Edinburgh's very famous castle is the Scotch Whiskey Experience. If you love a whiskey, this place is well worth a visit. The wife and I did the gold tour here, which costs just shy of £30 per person. With that, you get a free Glencairn whiskey glass, whiskey in it as well to toast with, an introduction to the aromas of whiskies, where you get a lesson on tasting the different styles of whiskey, those being Speyside, I don't know if the next one is for that Islay or Islay. I can never remember. Lowland, Highland and Campbelltown and what to look for in each. A ride in a whiskey barrel through the history of whiskey making. A look at the world's largest whiskey collection. Membership to the Scotch Whiskey Appreciation Society and four whiskies to enjoy in the bar afterwards. So it's great value for your £30. As I said, I went with a wife who just so happens to hate whiskey, and that is a great tip. Go with someone you know will not enjoy this. That way you get to drink double the amount of whiskey. I was pretty merry by the time I left. Islay or Islay style, not sure how to pronounce it. Like I said, whiskies like Lafroig are my least favourite. But my absolute favourite is the equally difficult to pronounce Ockentoshen, which is a lowland single malt. And if that's pronounced properly, I would be amazed. But it is a fantastic tasting whisky. I'm going to share with you what I learned on that tour on how to taste a whiskey properly. Now, this won't detract if you later do choose to do the tour, because to be honest with you, I'm not giving you any whiskies to taste. But then again, you're not giving me £30 either. So that's, I think we're even there, aren't we? First, you want to get your Glencairn glass. If you're unfamiliar with what these look like, picture the glass cover to the old style candles that perhaps Ebenezer Scrooge would carry upstairs to bed. Or alternatively, check out Beans Does Stuff social media, and I'll share a picture of mine at some point during the week. Now, mine is adorned with titty and shiner on it. Most you'll find generally aren't, but it is the perfect glass for tasting whiskey because of the shape of it, and that is key to it. The first thing you do when you pour your whiskey is to examine its colour. Whiskey gets its colour from the casks in which it's aged. Some are aged in bourbon or sherry cask, others are just the wooden casks themselves and they get the colour from that. So each one is slightly different. The shape of the glass is key for the next bit. You want to swirl it around because that bulbous part of glass holds it in and it allows you to examine its viscosity. The whiskey will leave streaks down the side of the glass. The thicker the streaks, the more viscous the whiskey, and you should be able to discern that in your mouth when you taste it. Next, you're going to want to put your hand over the top of the glass and just shake it very, very gently, just to agitate the whiskey. You will get bubbles in the drink when you do this, and the longer it takes those bubbles to disappear, the stronger the whiskey's ABV is, apparently. Next, sniff the whiskey. Again, the shape of the glass is key as it channels the scent directly to your nose. And this is your opportunity to pontificate. 
Pick out the separate smiles that you can detect and be sure to try and pick them out again in those flavor profiles when you do taste it. And finally, the best bit, the taste. If you've ever done a wine tasting course, you will have no doubt been told to breathe through your nose as you do this. The same is true for tasting whiskey. You taste with your tongue, but the scent that your nose picks up adds to those flavors. So enjoy that taste and savor the texture before you swallow. A measure of whiskey contains roughly the same amount of calories as a banana. When I get back from the pub, the wife invariably says, just how much have you had to drink? And I'll reply, a bunch and a half of bananas worth. The true answer is in fact much higher than that, but talking that level of nonsense just helps to convey how smashed I am. Like I said, I really enjoy American whiskies. On trips to the States, I like to pick up a few to bring home. Jim Beam's Jacob's Ghost is a favourite of mine. It's a little bit different as it's a clear whisky and you enjoy it with a slice of orange in it. I've talked mainly about Scottish and American whiskies, and I'll get onto Irish whiskies a little bit later, but there also are some fantastic Japanese whiskies too. I used to manage a food shop in Northwich, and one of my regular customers was a chap who referred to himself as Uncle Whiskey. Now, I'm not in the habit of going round to strangers' houses, but when someone offers you the opportunity to try some of his 100 plus whiskies, well, I simply wasn't going to say no. We started off with some great Lowland whiskies first and then compared them to some of his Japanese offerings. And I have to say the Hibiki was one of my favorites that I tasted that day. I can't recall whether it was late afternoon or early evening when the wife picked me up, but I couldn't even say the word banana, let alone describe how many I'd had. And my host, who... I should also tell you was French, had forgotten how to speak English. My wife is indeed a very patient lady. This section of the podcast is devoted to cocktails. Now, my pal Andy loves a boilermaker. That's a direct quote, it's not a rumour. And this is a shot of whiskey in a pint of beer. I love whiskey and I love beer, but much like science and religion, the two should be kept apart and enjoyed separately. Boilermakers are not for me. Whilst we're talking about cocktails and friends, I want to give a shout out to another friend of mine, Richard Fawcett. Have a look out for his page on Facebook, The Studio Saigon. He is an incredibly talented artist as well as being a cocktail expert and he combines the two to make some magnificent creations. Check out his stuff or if you ever find yourself in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, please pay him a visit. My favourite whiskey based cocktail is the Manhattan. Last time out I told you about the centre bar in the Paris Hotel Las Vegas and their smoked Manhattan and how much I enjoyed it. A Manhattan doesn't have to be smoked for me to enjoy it. It's a really easy cocktail to make at home. It's like the whiskey drinker's martini. Have you ever wondered where some cocktails get their names from? Well, I'll be honest with you, like you, most cocktails, I have no idea. The Manhattan, however, I do. A Manhattan is two shots of whiskey, preferably bourbon, 
one measure of vermouth, and two dashes of Angostura bitters. Two, one, two which is the area code for Manhattan, New York. The most expensive whiskey cocktail that you can buy is the Manhattan, if you order it in Dubai Sky Bar. It's made with a 55-year-old Macallan. The ice that it's served with is made from the same pure water that Macallan used to make their famous single malt whiskies, And it's stirred with an oak stick made from the Macallan cask. And it will set you back £4,600 plus tip. I don't know what the rules are for tipping in Dubai, but if it's anything like Vegas, you can chuck in another thousand. My second favourite whiskey cocktail is the mint julep, and this is made by muddling 12 mint leaves into cold water and sugar. Now, I don't actually do this, I make my own sugar syrup, it's quite easy to do, it's just a matter of boiling down some water and sugar mixture until it makes it into a syrup, which is really sweet and actually quite enjoyable to taste. And I find that a little bit more effective and it will mix into the drink better than granulated sugar will. Bang in some crushed ice, pour over a couple of shots of strong bourbon. You want their 50% ABV stuff for this cocktail. Top up with more ice and some more mint leaves and you have yourself the most refreshing of whiskey cocktails. Another favourite whiskey cocktail of mine is the Old Fashioned. It's made with whiskey, sugar, lemon peel, Angostura bitters and a dash of water. When I shared the story of my smoked Manhattan last week, my pal Big Titty messaged me about a smoked Old Fashioned that he had tried in Branson, Missouri of all places. His words, not mine. They used a smoker on it, just like the one I saw in Vegas. He liked it so much that he looked into getting one. Apparently, that will set you back around about $250, which is not cheap. And he just couldn't justify the cost of it. They made his cocktail with a huge ice ball and smoked that too, which sounds spectacular. And that got me on to thinking about how you cool your whiskey. Some people will have it over a load of crushed ice and others will add a splash of iced water. Now I've tried these and I've tried a few other different methods too. I bought some of the whiskey rocks which are like an ice cube sized stone that you've put in your freezer and then put it in your drink to cool it. This is supposedly ideal because it doesn't melt obviously and it doesn't dilute your drink. I've generally found that these are fairly ineffective. It may be because I do like a large glass of whiskey and it's perhaps too big a glass to effectively be cooled by four or five small rocks. The idea behind the big ball of ice is that it takes longer to melt and doesn't dilute your drink too much. I found this one is the most effective but I generally prefer to drink my whiskey at room temperature so I can really enjoy the taste. On the odd occasion that I do choose to put ice in my whiskey, I like to have a little bit of novelty about it. I've picked up a few different ice cube trays over the years. One of my favourite is a tray that makes my ice shape like dice, or dice cubes as I like to call them. The other one is a little less PC and it produces ice in the shape of a miniature iceberg and a miniature Titanic or gin and Titanics or Titonics I think it was called. But anyway it looks pretty good but 
to be honest, adds a little bit too much ice to the whiskey. If you've ever been on a night out with me, then there's a pretty good chance that I've finished the night off with this next cocktail. Most places I go, they've never heard of it, and I have to tell them what it entails. A bar made in the Wilbram Arms, which is a pub in my hometown of Allsager, first told me about this. As I've said, I always get on Google and check that I have my facts as close to straight as can be before I record an episode. And in this instance, I also dug out my Playboy Bartender's Guide, which boasts 1,400 cocktail recipes. I thought I would be sure to find out the origins of my most consumed cocktail before I talked about it in there. It turns out there's a reason why no one has known what I'm on about when I asked for it. And that's because it doesn't exist. I've been ordering a Jack the Ripper and wondering why I get the same blank look, irrespective of which bar I'm in. And now I know why. There is a Jack the Ripper cocktail. Well, actually, there's two, in fact, and both are made with whiskey. Jen Freiberg makes hers with Jack Daniels, freshly squeezed orange juice, cinnamon syrup and salted caramel and describes it as a Halloween special. Sounds okay, but it's not what I've been ordering. TheCocktailBuilder.com make it with Crown Royal Canadian whiskey and butterscotch snap and serve it over ice. Again, sounds alright, but not what I've been drinking. The Jack the Ripper that I've been drinking is one part Jack Daniels and one part Southern Comfort. It's not the most complicated or sophisticated cocktail, but trust me, it tastes great. The two flavors blend together really well and it makes a very smooth drink. And you can actually still discern the two flavors of the Jack Daniels and the Southern Comfort in the same drink. It really is very pleasant. I've had a search on the web and it turns out what I've been drinking is something called a Southern Joe Shooter. Even with that, I found there are different mixes to have with the Jack Daniels. Some use Southern Comfort and some use Amaretto and Cranberry Juice. I'll order a Southern Joe next time and see if the bar staff look any less bemused. In fact, I might just throw in a measure of Malibu too and call it a Southern Joe Exotic. I am aware that I promised to mention Irish whiskey, and as yet, I haven't done so. My analytics tell me that I have a number of listeners in Ireland, so I hope you guys are happy with my culinary chaos creation for this week. I have a number of recipes for food made with whiskey. In fact, I have an entire cookbook dedicated to cooking with Jack Daniels. I used Jameson's whiskey for my creation this week and I've had a go at making my own Irish cream. And this is the reason why I ummed and aahed about what to call this episode because it turned out so well that I nearly called it Beans Does Irish Cream. The other idea I had for the name was Beans Does Liqueurs. I was reminded though of a joke my uncle told many years ago when we were out celebrating my nan's 70th birthday in Crew Hall. The waiter came around at the end of the evening as we were enjoying our coffees and was going around each of us asking if we'd like any liqueurs. And when he got to my uncle, he simply just said, liqueur, sir? And he replied, no, thanks. I can lick my own. So for that reason, Beans Does Lick Yours was out. (laughs) The most famous of all the Irish creams is Bailey's. 
I find it difficult to believe that what I consider to be the taste of Christmas has only been around since 1974. I'm older than Bailey's, that's unbelievable. Now, you know me by now. I wasn't simply going to have a go at recreating Bailey's and be happy with that. Bailey's have done a number of different flavours over the years. The most recent one they've done is the Red Velvet Cupcake flavour. It was great, a real treat. They've also done a completely vegan almond flavour, which again was great. Now I tried this at a trade fair and I've got to be honest, I put off the idea of buying myself a bottle because it was vegan, which is ironic really for someone who's vegetarian for 15 years, but it is a very enjoyable drink and you can't tell that it doesn't contain any dairy. Bailey's have done a great job with it. They also did a biscotti flavour a few years ago. Now, I hadn't been able to get my hands on a bottle of this when it first came out, and I was really keen to try it. I'd popped up to Yorkshire to spend a weekend with my dad, and he casually dropped into the conversation that he'd picked up a bottle, and that it was wonderful. I expressed my delight that he'd had some, and told him how I was looking forward to trying it, to which he replied, You're not having any. There's hardly any left. He did, however, let me sniff the bottle. Very generous of him. I managed to pick some up and it tasted every bit as good as it smells. So to the Irish cream that I made. I wanted to give mine a confectionery flavour. I'd had a couple of ideas. I thought maybe a Maltesers flavour or a Hershey's cookie and cream chocolate bar. I also considered Cadbury's cream egg. It's post-Easter now, so those are nearly as cheap as I am. If you don't like the flavour I chose, you can substitute with your confectionery of choice. I made a Turkish Delight flavoured Baileys and it was out of this world. As always, I'll give you the ingredients, but just screenshot it from social media. It's a heck of a lot easier. To make this nice and simple recipe, all you'll need is 600 mils of single cream, 600 mils of condensed milk, 380 mils of Jameson Irish whiskey, two shots of espresso. Now, I used Nespresso's vanilla eclair coffee and one tablespoon of vanilla essence. Now, you may want to double this if you aren't using a vanilla flavored coffee. And then all I added was six 51 gram fried Turkish Delight bars. And here's how to do it. Melt down the chocolate over a bain-marie, which for the uninitiated is basically just a pan of boiling water with a heat-proof glass bowl sat on top of it. Don't allow the boiling water to touch the bowl. It's important that you don't allow the chocolate to burn. Once the chocolate bars are starting to melt, add the coffees one shot at a time and mix it through the gooey chocolatey mix. This will help them to melt down. Now, Turkish Delight was a bit of a nightmare to melt down, so I ended up giving them a quick blast in the food processor to break them down. You know, just those stubborn parts that wouldn't quite melt up of Turkish Delight. If you're making this recipe with, say, something like a, a Terry's chocolate orange or a mint chocolate area, for example, you won't need to use a food processor, I wouldn't have thought. Remove from the heat, or in my case, empty the food processor and allow it to cool just a little. Add 300ml of the condensed milk to stop the chocolate from re-solidifying and allow to cool a little longer before adding the rest of the condensed milk and then mix it through thoroughly. 
I use the wife's KitchenAid with the cake mix setting for the next part. If you don't have a KitchenAid or you're just plumb not as lazy as I am, you can just simply use a spatula to mix the rest of the ingredients together. So add in the cream, the vanilla essence, and of course the all important Jameson's whiskey. Do this gently and you're done. This will make two 70 centiliter bottles of Irish cream, which comes out in somewhere between 12 to 15% ABV, I think. And it will keep in the fridge for about two months. But I'm willing to bet it's gone inside a month because this tastes great. Honestly, if you love Bailey's, you will love this. If you've tried those alternative cheaper brands to Bailey's, they're all lacking that one thing, aren't they? That rich consistency. This isn't. It's just as rich and just as tasty. It is absolutely fantastic. My mother-in-law is an absolute Bailey's fanatic. And I dropped a bottle off for her. While she's stuck in lockdown, I thought this might pick her up a little. And it did. She absolutely loved the stuff. She was actually quite surprised that it was me who's made it, but nonetheless, she was really, really impressed with it. The more astute of you will have seen what I've done as well with the ingredients. 380 mils of whiskey. That's more than half a bottle, so you're going to need to buy a full-size one, leaving you with the rest of the bottle of whiskey to enjoy as well. That's pretty much it for me this week. And I'm pleased to say that I'm really quite close to coming into the half hour mark. Certainly the closest I've been maybe since week three or four. I'm going to leave you with one last whiskey based fact. The bit of whiskey that evaporates during the whole process is called the angel share. And the bit that soaks into the cask is called the devil's cut. Hopefully some of this has soaked into you guys and you'll keep some of the stuff I've shared in mind the next time you enjoy a wee dram. As always, I'd love to hear from you, especially if you have a go at making that Irish cream. If you do, please let me know what you flavoured yours with because I'd love to have another go at this and try something a bit different and that might just give me the excuse to do so if you come up with something that's perhaps a little bit better. I always love getting feedback from listeners, so please send me your thoughts. Or if it's something that you want me to talk about, send me that. I'll literally have a go at anything. If there's something that you want to know about and I haven't done it, and guess what? I'll do it just in the name of research. So what will episode 15 be all about? My buddy Gaz sent me one of those well, quite annoying challenges on Facebook to share photos of the 10 albums that have been the soundtrack to my life. I have to say, I do quite like the idea of that one. And that said, I haven't actually done it, but I have been kicking around an idea for Beans Does Vinyl for a while, so I'm going to combine the two things together. I do promise you right here and right now, it won't just be a half hour of me just droning on about Morrissey. As always, I'll have a go at a how-to, and actually in this case, I've already done it. And as fantastic as I think it looks, the wife won't give it house room, so I will be forced to give it away. So if you're listening to next week's episode, and you like the sound or the look, if you follow me on social media of it, get in contact, and I may just give it away to you. 
Last and by no means least, I need to give a shout out to my sponsors, Lemon Co Clothing. They might not be sending out orders at the minute as they do their bit to stem the spread of the coronavirus, but get yourself over to LemonCoClothing.com, especially if you're looking for something a little bit different in your beanie, t-shirt, sweatshirt or hoodie. When life gives you lemons, stay sour and make lemonade. Thanks again for stopping by. As always, I'd welcome any feedback you care to share with me. Please send that to at Stuff on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or on the web, you can visit www.beanstuffstuff.weebly.com. There's a link on there to all the social media, the email, and a link to Google Podcasts, where obviously you are taken straight to the Beanstuff Stuff podcast. You can email me at beansdustuff at outlook.com or find my profile on Anchor and leave me a message, which I can play on this very podcast. Next week's episode is, as I said, Beans Does Vinyl, and I'll be talking about some of my favourite albums of all time and sharing a few of the rarer pieces in my collection. Let me tell you one thing that's better than staying alert, staying safe, staying healthy, and staying home. So until next time, when no doubt we'll have plenty more stuff to talk about. Take care.